Philippians chapter 1 is where we are. We began a new series last week that we are continuing our journey. That was a lot of singing. Thanks, Robin. Uh, We're continuing our journey through Philippians. Paul wrote his uh, to his boys and his girls back in Philippi. And he's checking on them because he heard that they were concerned about him because we'll figure some things out as we go in this text this morning, uh, that they were concerned for him. And so he's just, his response is epic and incredible. And I cannot wait to get into this. In fact, I'm so excited about this particular passage. Um, It could be the coffee uh, that the reason why I'm so giddy, I don't know, who knows. But anyway, so if you're here, You're new with us. Thank you for joining us. Let's get into the word, Philippians chapter one. We're going to pick it up in verse 12. I left my readers at home, so let's pray to God in heaven that I can read this without looking incredibly crazy. Just make my screen a lot bigger. Here we go. Philippians one, we're going to pick it up in verse 12. Now, remember, this is Paul writing to his brothers and sisters in Philippi. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Underline that verse, okay, or highlight it if you're in your phone. So that it has become known throughout the world, the whole imperial guard, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not necessarily, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. I pray, God, for everyone who's in here that we would be able to hear your word, not just hear, but do. And I pray for those who may be hurting, who may be just spiritually bankrupt this morning, for those of us who need you, Christ. Would you meet us in these theater seats this morning? And when we leave here, we would see how beautiful you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Where is Paul? I think somebody said it. Jail. Jail. He's in prison. Okay, remember, I'm from the South. I like talk back, okay? He's in prison. And why is he in prison? He's a prisoner of the state because he goes around telling folk that Jesus Christ is king. That's a huge problem because the emperor at the time, Nero, thought that he was the true king. He thought that he was the true God. So Paul's messaging would lead Paul quite often into prison. In fact, if you remember last week, Paul had this pattern throughout his life. Proclaim Jesus, plant the church, 
end up in jail, break out, repeat. Preach Jesus is king, plant the church, end up in prison, get out, repeat. This was the method of operation of our boy and missionary, Paul. So Paul has planted the church in Philippi, which, by the way, in Acts, you can read about this story. Um, the, the few people that he meets in Philippi lands him in prison. That's okay, though. He praises God, and his praise is so powerful that it breaks literally down the doors, and the prison guard and the cop is redeemed, right? And he finds salvation because of what's happening, right? And so Paul now, this is probably 10 to 12 years later, he's writing back to his brothers and sisters in Christ because they're concerned about him. And you can, we're going to learn about this in chapter 2 and 4. They're going to send this dude named Epaphroditus. That's a great name. Um, sounds like a name you'd hear in Utah. Epaphroditus, right? Um, and so he's, he's there. And um, that was a better joke than you laughed, but that's okay. We'll get better at this. So they send Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus sends Paul, and, and he's greeting Paul in prison, and he gives him gifts. He gives him money. He's like, hey, Paul, I need you to um, use this money. You, you need water. You need food, whatever it is. And, and by the way, Paul, we're worried about you. We, we, we heard that you're in prison. We heard you got caught up, um, and, and Nero, you know, he's a crazy guy, and we just want to check on you, make sure you're okay. And I love Paul's response to this question. Paul's response is incredible. He says to them, don't worry, because what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. It's an incredible response. Now, if you don't know who Paul is, this would probably leave you asking a question, well, what in the heck happened to Paul? Now, now if you were raised in church, you, you, know, you know the story of Paul. You know that he was once a uh, person who probably signed off on the persecution and murder of Christians. Then Jesus meets him literally and tells him, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting uh, me? Which he's talking about the church. And Paul's just transformed right? And, and he just then spends his life devoted to Christ. Now, problem is, Paul finds himself in quite the issues time and time again. And in fact, I'll let Paul talk about it in the way he would, and, and you, we can learn about the things that served him, the things that happened to him that served to advance the gospel. And he says this, uh, in fact, you can just write this down or, or you can thumb over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look, listen to what Paul says. This is absolutely bonkers. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 24, five times I have received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. And he ain't talking about eyelashes, y'all. The beatings, okay, gets bad. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and in thirst 
often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul was an anxious dude who is weak. And I am, and I am not weak. Who's made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor and king Aratus was guarding at the sea of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped at his hands. Paul would disagree with the Christian idea that you can live your best life right now. Amen? Amen. Is Paul living his best life? No, bro. Shipwrecked. In fact, another, and he does this quite often to the Corinthians and reminds him of what led him on this path. One time there was a riot that occurred because of Paul. He's caught up in it. Paul, uh, troubles, dangers, shipwreck, beaten, righted against, daily pressures on him, filled with anxiety. And after all of that, now he lands himself in prison, the, the final two years of his life where death is about to happen to him. And after he says, all of that, all of that, that has happened to me, has really just served to advance the gospel. It didn't shut down the gospel. It advanced the gospel. I love the word advanced here that's used in the Greek. It gives us the idea of being advanced by chopping down whatever prevents progress. So the troubles, the dangers, the, all of that, being right against, that was, just, that was just chopping down the trees and paving a path for the gospel. That's how Paul views all of that hardship. That's how Paul views all of the evil that has been done to him. He views all of that evil that's been done to him in that way that it served to advance the gospel. And so he gives a couple of examples right here in verse, look at verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard into all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The, the NASB translation says it's the Protonian guards, the Protonian guards. Now, the Protonian guards, they are an, an elite group of men. In fact, if you know your history, they were a part of assassinations to several of the emperors. In fact, 20 years prior to Paul writing this letter, they assassinated one of the emperors and staged a coup so that a new regime would come in. These guys weren't your, um, these guys weren't boys, okay? These guys were the modern day Navy SEALs slash Secret Service guards. These were men who were to be feared. And, and you got to wonder, like, when Paul's saying this, he's like, yeah, you know those Praetorian uh, guards, they know about me. I don't know about you, but if, if the FBI or if the Secret Service, let's go Secret Service because that would be creepy. If the Secret Service knew about you, oh, come on, y'all, don't give me those dignified, righteous looks. You know that would be terrifying. Why? 
is the secret service knowing about me? Like I'm hiding, okay? Now, I don't know about you. I don't need secret service knowing about Matthew Thrower. That's horrifying. And these Bretonian guards, they know what Paul is doing. Now it's totally, totally conjecture. How do they know about Paul? I mean, it could be several different ways. I don't know how they know about him. Maybe they know because of the churches that are defying Caesar's ridiculous rule of social distancing in their home. And so they're like, heck no, we ain't social distancing in our homes. And so Caesar's like, what? Get the Bretonian guards after those jokers. It could be that. It could be that it's just this insurgence of the gospel being spread throughout all the region, and all these churches are just popping up, and they're like, whoa, is this a threat? Who started this? Oh, I think it was a boy named Paul, I believe. Oh, really? Well, throw Paul in prison. I don't know. Or maybe it was just, you know, like Paul's in prison quite often a few times, and some of these guards, they're like, hey, Hey, man, what's your name? Well, my name is Paul. Nice to meet you. What's your name? Well, my name is Jack, because that's not an ancient Jewish name. And so they're like, well, well, what brings you in here? Was a murder? Nah, well, you know, no, but that was my former life, you know, kind of funny. Um, but no, I'm not here for the things that, you know, made me so sinful. Okay, well, what was it? Was it like an insurrection? Uh, technically not. Um, how would you call the church? No, not an insurrection, uh, although it kind of technically is because Jesus is actually king and your king is not king. Um, so, so what is it? You've been like, you holding out your tax? No, nah, I mean, I don't make, make no money. So what is it? Well, you know, you know that dude that, funny, you guys are crazy because y'all, uh, and he probably didn't use y'all because he's not from the South. You know, you all, y'all, no, there it goes again. Um, Y'all staged a regime change for a dude that thinks he's God. And so I've just been telling people that Caesar's not God, Jesus is God. And so I'm here. And I'm sure like, and I don't know if this really happened. This is just kind of distorting and, and crazy how my brain views things. Uh, and I'm having this conversation in my head, but I, I'm sure that may be how they know about Paul. Okay, they know about Paul. Everybody knows about Paul because of this message. The rule and reign of the true king is here. The reign of the Messiah, the, the rule of King Jesus is, is really who we bow to. And so, yes, Caesar don't like that. The emperor does not like this message that Paul is proclaiming. And so I got to ask, you know, because I'm a preacher, I'm supposed to do this. Um, yeah, I got a heart. I, like, that's, that's difficult. If I knew that Nero was such a wicked dude, so wicked, in fact, when a fire broke out in Rome, and you know what Nero did? He blamed the Christians and had them persecuted and thrown to lions and killed. So Emperor Nero was not the guy you want to be friends with. And Paul knew this. And so he goes on and he says this in verse 14, because of this persecution, because Paul is standing into the face of Nero and saying, yeah, you're not God. Jesus is God. You're not king. Jesus is king. And look what he says as a result of that. Look what he says. 
and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Rome is crazy right now. And so they hear about preacher Paul standing in the face of Caesar and the emperor Nero, and he's saying, you're not king, Jesus is king. And so y'all, that puts these other fellow believers, and it puts some boldness up in them. They're like, y'all know, y'all know, if Paul can do it, I can do it. And this was risky. This wasn't risky like, I may lose my job. I may lose my relationship. No, you may lose your life. You may get beheaded. And Paul's like, what's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to land me in prison? News alert, I'm already here. What's the worst? You're going to kill me? Oh, okay, to live is die, die is gain. So honestly, Nero, what's the worst you can do to me? And so they get this message, and with boldness, they begin to proclaim out this rule and reign of King Jesus Christ. And I read this, and I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Because that is so convicting. Is that not convicting? The boldness of other people proclaiming the gospel shouldn't make us like, you know what? He's got it. He's good. That means I ain't got to do it. That's fine. No. When we see the boldness of Christ being proclaimed, reading this, we should join in on the action, man. Man, this is convicting. So, so it's not all pretty because it's going to get really super confu- confu- confusing. confusing. You try to do this every week. Don't judge. Verse 15 says, Now there are some indeed preached Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill, and the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. That's a very odd scripture. Good news, y'all. And so he's, you know, remember? He's writing to the Philippines, Philippians, Philippi. He's writing to the Philippi people because they're asking him, Paul, are you okay? How are things, man? We're worried about you. Nero, we heard he is a crazy joker. Paul, you got some boldness, man. We know you're in prison. And so Paul throws this in here. He says, you know what? I don't know what's happening with some of these jokers. I don't know if they're doing it out of envy. I don't know if they're doing it because they think they're better than somebody else. But there are jokers out there who are proclaiming Christ and they don't have the right intentions. Now, this is an interesting passage because if you read Paul and you read throughout the New Testament, he talks about this kind of again in Galatians. In Galatians, the people, uh, they weren't preaching the right gospel. And Paul says, well, you know what? I pray a curse on you because you're not preaching the right gospel. But this is a little different because he doesn't put a, pray a curse, which is crazy, uh, pray a curse on uh, the people who are proclaiming it out of envy because they're actually proclaiming the right message. And then look what Paul says. I don't really care. Um, I don't know why they're being hypocritical. I don't know why they're envious. I don't know why. Um, I, I don't know if they're cheating on their spouse. I don't really know what they're doing. But you know what I do know, Paul says? 
Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and that I rejoice. Now, he's like, I don't really care. Their lifestyle is a little, but they're preaching the right gospel. Now, that doesn't give you and I an excuse to go live how we want to. Well, as long as I preach the gospel, preacher said, I'm fine. I'm going to live out the way I want to. No, that's not what's happening. Look what Paul says. You know what? Some of these jokers are a little crazy. God's going to convict them. God's going to bring them to judgment. It's fine. But the true gospel is being preached. Yet I rejoice. Now, Philippians, remember last week I told you, one of the big themes in Philippians is this idea of joy. So Paul says rejoice. Yet I rejoice. Now, joy, rejoice, same thing. Joy is the noun. Rejoice is the verb. You grammar teachers should be very proud because I had to look that up. Thank you. I thought I deserved a hand clap. That's fine. We'll do it later. He uses this word a lot simultaneously, joy, rejoice, for just to be a very short letter written to his brothers and sisters. But let me go back to where this section started. Where is Paul? Did y'all forget that quickly? He's in prison. Paul is in prison and he says, you know, all that evil stuff that's been done to me, it it got me in prison, that's fine, yet I rejoice. Let me be a little straight with you if I can. I don't know if I have the boldness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, especially if it leads me in prison because guys like me, we don't do well in prison. I don't want to end up in prison, I don't want to end up in jail. You know, that may not be an American thing right now, but you know, our brothers and sisters up in Canada proclaiming Jesus is ending up in jail. You know why? Because they said, hey, Justin, you're not God. Jesus is. That's a boldness. Whether you agree with it or not, I don't really care. That's a boldness that I just don't think I have. So Paul's in prison. All these terrible things have been done to him. Evil. Like, can we agree what's been done to Paul was nothing but evil. And I want you to look what's happening deeply in this text, that Paul's joy is found in the gospel. Paul's joy is wrapped in the gospel. Like, do not miss that. It's not wrapped in, I'm in prison, it's okay, it's just kind of giving me some time to do some self-reflection. It's not wrapped in all of the situations that's happened to him. His joy is found and wrapped in the gospel. Think about this. All the evil that's been done to, to our boy. And it makes us question, and you know, this, this really presents a huge problem for us, which is the problem of evil. It's been debated. It's what, when we study apologetics, it's definitely something that we're going to get to. The problem of evil. Who causes the evil? Is it, is it God? Is it Satan? Is it um, your sin? Was it a sin from someone else that caused the evil to happen uh, to you? Um, is it a result of a satanic work that's being done against you? Or is it because of the immense amount of brokenness that's happening 
in the world right now? Which is it? Short answer, I don't know. And there's a long answer, but we won't get into that today. It could be some of those things mixed together. I don't really know. But this is what Paul knew, is that King Jesus, his rule wasn't something to be expected in the far future. King Jesus' rule and reign was right now, which meant for Paul that despite all of the bad and evil things that's been done to me, Christ is with me here. And despite the evil that the emperor wants to throw my way, that's fine. He's going to be judged by the greater king, Jesus. That's okay. Why? Because Paul's joy was wrapped in the gospel. What is this gospel message? That Jesus died on our behalf and that he resurrected from the grave. That's it. Paul had this message that he could not contain himself. And his joy was wrapped around that, the gospel. It was not wrapped on situations. It was not wrapped on any of those things. His joy was not wrapped in the evil that had been done to him and that one day, maybe perhaps, there will be vindication. It was not wrapped in that idea. It was wrapped in the gospel not in the evil. Do you see there's a, there's a literary theme throughout the whole scripture, and it starts in Genesis, particular Genesis chapter 50, verse 24, when Joseph, you remember the story, Joseph, he was sold into slavery, not by somebody who stole him, but by his brothers, sold into slavery, kind of made his way on up. Uh, then Potiphar's wife, uh, she wanted Joseph because the Bible says Joseph, apparently he was a really fine and attractive dude. And so she's like, I want you, Joseph. And Joseph's like, I don't think so. That's just not my, my thing. I don't do that. And so Potiphar has him locked up in prison. Joseph, again, raises up to like second in command. And what does God do? There, there's a famine that happens and his brothers are older now. 20 years has passed. His brothers come, Joseph weeps. And you know what Joseph says to them? You know the evil that you did to me? God turned it for my good. This is exactly what Paul is saying here. You know, all of that stuff, the shipwrecked, the snake biting, the, um, you know, the rioting, all of that crazy stuff, all of that evil, some way, somehow, God used it for my good. And that what Romans chapter 8, 28 says? For I know that all things will work for the good for those who love and for the purpose of Christ. All things work together for the good. Think about that. All things, all of the evil wicked things that have been done to you some way, somehow God can use it for our good. Now here's one of the problems. Sometimes our good isn't necessarily the same thing as Paul's good. Let me give you an example of this. So, so good for me, all things work together for the good who loves, for those who love Jesus Christ. Good for me, my three-year-old acts right. 
Come on, all my, all my young parents should have said amen right there. I mean, y'all just heard that, okay? It's a daily thing. I'm just like, God, please, you said all things work together for the good. Make my kid act right. Like sometimes good for us is just like, man, if, if my kids just, if I don't have to repeat myself 800 times, that's a good thing. If I land the job, that's a good thing. If I get the promotion, it's a good thing. If I get a raise, that's a good thing. If I win the lottery, that's a good thing. If I go in Vegas, which I know I shouldn't do, and I win bukoodles of money, that's a good thing. If I find the dream spouse, that's a good thing. But Paul doesn't think so. Paul doesn't think that your situations and and all of those things that I've listed above, Paul's not associating his good with that. What is Paul associating his good with? The gospel. So when the Philippians, when they write and they send out this brother man with all of these good things, with some money, like, bro, we're just checking on you. How are you? What are you doing? Like, dude, I heard about all the wickedness and all the crazy things that have been happening to you. And they say this question, Paul, are you okay? You know what Paul says? The gospel is just fine. It's good. It's great. Because you know, all that crazy crap that happened to me, you know, that was some evil things. But look what God did. He used all of that to advance the gospel. Paul's joy was wrapped in the gospel. Here's what I would suggest to us. That if we can just get our happiness, and if we can lock that in with the gospel, you'll experience joy. So if your whole life is about the advancement of the gospel, then you will, and I'm, and I'm, not, I'm not lying to you, like you will experience a joy because why? It will be wrapped in the gospel. And here's why this is true, because the gospel does not fail. Here's what I know. Paul, you know, crazy Paul, giving them this message about how wicked and how, you know, Nero, crazy guy, but he's not king. Jesus is king. And he's proclaiming this gospel truth because his joy was wrapped in that. Guess what happened, y'all? You know, Rome, it failed. Don't know that? Crazy story. It failed. But guess what hasn't failed? The gospel. Paul's joy was wrapped in the gospel. And God took all of that evil that had been done to him. And somehow, some way, turned it for Paul's good. Paul's good was the advancement of the gospel. I don't, let me ask you this. I don't know if you've ever had any evil done to you, which I'm guessing you probably have. I don't know if you've experienced sickness, divorce, um, death. I don't don't know what you've experienced in your life. Um, I I know I've experienced types of evil, um, but here's what I do know. That evil, some way, somehow, God used it for my good. And my good wasn't 
me experiencing my best life now. My good was that it advanced the message of the gospel. So my wife, she didn't know I was going to do this, but I apologize. Oh, she's not in here. Good. That is great. Here's an example of this, and I'll close in just a few minutes. A few minutes. That means I got like two more closings left. When my wife was born, she was born to some incredibly wicked people. So much that the state came in and they pulled her out before she was one years old. She went through foster care, went through an incredible family, and then she was adopted at the age of three. She was adopted at the age of three and, and by some incredible Christian people. God used an evil thing and he made it for her good. So that now one day um, he would put me and my wife together, we would have two kids and that we would also get an opportunity to turn something that had been so evil towards her into good, and we heard about a little boy who was going to get aborted, and we said, no. Because what the evil was going to happen to my baby boy, God said, no, I'm going to turn it for his good. God used the story of the gospel, how he's adopted you and I into the kingdom of God, and he turned something that should have been evil and was very wicked, and he turned it to advance the gospel. This is the gospel. Christ took us despite us and adopted you and I into the kingdom of God. Is your joy wrapped in the gospel? And let me ask you this. How can you, whatever evil thing has been done to you, have you ever thought about maybe God can use that for my good and your good is not winning the lottery? I'm talking about the good of the advancement of the gospel. How can you turn something so vile and disgusting and use it and partner alongside a creator God that loves you and wants to use that for the gospel good? And I, I don't know if you could answer that now. That's fine. But think about that. Is your joy wrapped in the gospel? Because when you can get that, you get your happiness and lock it in the gospel, friends, you will experience a joy that you'll never be able to experience.